So today we're going to start off the message with a guess the song competition. All right, are you ready? Um, maybe the older guys will know this, but let's see. Any guesses? Okay, let's try. I'll, I'll sing along now. Let's see if you can get it. see who guesses that all right that's called another brick in the wall by Pink Floyd so when you hear the term house of God what do you immediately think of if you come from a traditional Christian background you'd be familiar with the church building being called the house of God you'd also find that often meeting rooms would be called the sanctuary it's hard to escape the idea that the church building is the house of God I find it particularly helpful though that New Frontiers rents a wedding venue in Summersworth and has an ex-car dealership in Portsmouth as our venues. This really helps break the idea that a church building is where God lives. As you know, the Songs of Ascents was all about the journey or pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But the ultimate destination was the temple. Psalm 122's focus is on the house of God which is most likely referring to the tabernacle of David. The word tabernacle literally means tent or dwelling place. So the house of God is the place where God dwells. God instructs Moses in Exodus 25, 8, says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. God lives in temples. As we journey together through Psalm 122 today, let us remember that we can read the Psalms through the lens of the New Covenant. Jesus became our perfect pilgrim, satisfying all the legal and priestly requirements of the Old Covenant. He has journeyed for us, carrying the cross up to Calvary. He walked the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering, and is our great High Priest, fulfilling the temple sacrifices and tearing the curtain of separation in two. Jesus establishes the new and final temple. Our perfect pilgrim makes a way to God's presence to commune and have fellowship with the Father freely. Hebrews 10 explains, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We see Jesus' passion for Jerusalem as he weeps over Jerusalem. He warns Israel about rejecting him as the Messiah and ultimately prophesies the end of the old covenant and final destruction and removal of the earthly temple in AD 70. In John 2:19, Jesus answered them and he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. 
They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now we know that's referring to his resurrection. But Jesus was to inaugurate the new covenant with the new temple, which is his body, the church. Hebrews 9.11 says, But Christ, having appeared as a high priest of the coming good things, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, nor through the blood of goats and of calves, but through his own blood, he entered once for all into the Holy of Holies, having procured everlasting redemption. So Jesus confirms there's a new way of worship. When he's talking to the Samaritan woman about temples, in John 4.23 he says, But a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. True worship is no longer in a physical temple, but now it is spiritual in Christ. It is no longer ritualistic. It is in truth, not a shadow anymore, but through Christ the truth. He is the fulfillment of the shadowy old covenant. Physical temples are complete. Jesus came to fulfill the law. There is to be no third temple. God does not reside in buildings or tents any longer, but by the Spirit in bodies of believers. Christ is the key that opens the door to the very presence of God. We just have to walk through. That's our pilgrimage. Paul tells us that we are now walking, talking temples. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Christ has fulfilled and become the atonement offering. We can now offer our bodies as living sacrifices of continual praise. Paul says this is reasonable worship. Although we are now many temples, <laughs> we must not lose sight that God calls a people, a new priesthood, serving in his heavenly tabernacle. As Hebrews 12 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So Psalm 122 points to and is a wonderful picture of God's ultimate temple, his body, the church. As we read from verse 1 and 2, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. We immediately notice, I rejoiced with those and also let us go. It expresses the individual seeing themselves as part of the collective. In South Africa, we have a Zulu word, Ubuntu, which means, I am because we are. It's a very non-Western concept, but Ephesians says, 
We are being built together to form a growing temple. Let me read Ephesians 2, 15 says, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God's intention is for a community. You are a vital brick in the wall. I've heard some people say, you don't need to belong to a church because you are the church. I would like to clarify that and rather have it be we are the church. <laughs> so next Sunday when you come to church, you say, I'm going to church. The primary Greek word for church is ecclesia, or defined as the called out ones. William Tyndale didn't like the word church, instead he used the word congregation. The church by definition is really an assembly. It is something you can't be by yourself. Some say, oh, nature is my tabernacle. I don't need to go to church. I feel close to God in nature. Well, that's not entirely the biblical pictures we can see. We need to change our individualistic mindset. When you're missing, both you and I are missing out. <laughs> you're a vital brick in the wall. I always think the more many temples we have, the greater the glory. So the more the merrier. <laughs> um, as an individual temples and carriers of God's presence, when we come together, there is a greater sense of his presence. Is a different dynamic to our individual communing with God. Also note in verse 1 that there is rejoicing and excitement to be with God's people in His presence. As I say, this is where the party ends. This is where the joy of heaven abounds. In South Africa we have a dance, they call it a toy toy. It's a crowd moving and marching together as they sing along. Um, this is the feel that the psalm gives. I now beat the dancing drum, but I believe the physical expressions of praise help us become aware of each other. Um, and it gives us a sense of camaraderie. We don't come to church to perform religious rituals or duties. To make it, we don't make it our once a week opportunity to enter the Holy of Holies. But verse 2 says, Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Christ is the cornerstone, the firm foundation, the rock on which we stand. In Him we have arrived. The pilgrimage is completed. No more traveling. We've reached our destination. There is nothing we have to do but commune with God and His community. When you arrive from your pilgrimage at the assembly of the saints, regardless of what's happened on the journey, remember you are in. Nothing's changed. Know that you are accepted by God. I know we can come to a church meeting with many troubles and burdens, possibly bad relationships. 
But just remember that Jesus has gone before us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As we break bread together, we remind ourselves that the Lord is present and willing to commune and fellowship with us. You know, I sometimes hear people say, Oh, God showed up in that meeting. I understand what they're saying, but I'm not so sure that is the case. I think it's more that we came expectant. We arrived with open, willing, willing hearts. So let us eagerly gather with joy in anticipation of being in His presence with His people. Like coals in a fire, need, we need each other to keep the fire burning. As Hebrews 10 says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. As we go to verse 3, Jerusalem is built up as a city united together. Well, the church is, is God's great design. There is no plan B. God is building His church. Jesus' prayer is that we reach unity of faith. He gives gifts to the church in order to reach it. Ephesians 4.11 tells us, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. God is at work. He's growing and perfecting His temple. He loves unity. We see in Psalm 133, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. He even gives us the fruits of His Spirit so that we can live up to this high calling of being united together. Ephesians 4.1 says, As a prisoner in the Lord, then I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and with diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So we've been joined together through the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4 continues and says, That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statutes given to Israel. So I'm hoping you're watching this message with your tribe. (laughs) The tribes of Israel were the foundation of the nation. And so our community groups are the foundation for our communal gatherings together. Well, the main reason for our gatherings, as we can see in the psalm, is praise. Praise is a natural response to being a worshipper. We praise who we worship. The temple was surrounded with praise. David, in particular, had a passion for the praise of God. He appointed singers and musicians to praise with continual praise. C.S. Lewis said, Only in acts of worship and praise can a person learn to believe in the goodness and the greatness of God. God wants us to praise Him, not because He needs or craves in any sense our flattery, but because He knows that praise creates joy and thankfulness. 
You know, Psalm 33 verse 1 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. So where there's a temple, there's praise. Where God is, there is praise. We are temples, so we constantly offer up sacrifices of praise. As Hebrews 13, 15 instructs us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. Sure, you can praise by yourself. But it is all the more important to gather together as tribes united in praise. Because praise is about telling, declaring and boasting in God. You have to be with others to do this. Psalm 147 says, Hallelujah, how good it is to sing praises to our God. For praise is pleasant and lovely. C.S. Lewis again, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So when there's a touchdown, you can't help but shout. (laughs) Ephesians 5.19 says also, Speak or communicate to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So by singing and praising, we not only boast, but we encourage and we teach each other with the songs we sing. So we move on to verse 5. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So Jesus has assumed the throne of David the king, who judges justly and righteously. He is the head of the church. And so we live under his rule and his law. His new commandment law is that we love one another as he has loved us. So even to the point of laying our lives down for each other. That is church. As we conclude the psalm from verse 6 to 9, it reads, Verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. As a church, we believe in the power of prayer. We want to keep prayer a priority. Let us privately and corporately continue to pray for not only our church, but the worldwide body of Christ. For the sake of our family and friends, we pray shalom. As Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray that the church will be protected from all evil, so that it may flourish and prosper, so that his temple will fill whole earth with his glory. Colossians 3 concludes and summarizes not only this psalm perfectly, but it is a clear picture of what the new tabernacle should look like. I love this one. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity.
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So remember, all in all, you are a vital brick in the wall. All in all, you're a vital brick in the wall.